wait a minute, turn on the radio My homie got a new show and it's time to play it though I hope you got in tune, he talking bigger business He make a lot of moves Welcome to the Startup Showcase, I'm your host Scott Katoon We are going to jump right into it So, here's how I'm going to start this off Follow me on Twitter, at Katoon You can follow Technori on everything also, at Technori um, and you can call in. I would like you to call in. People are texting a lot. People are DMing me on Twitter a lot, which is fantastic. Call in 312-981-7200. We will make time to have a conversation. I got a bunch of stuff today. Uh, we're jumping right into the Y charts, uh, segment. For those of you, we launched this last, uh, last week, got a ton of great feedback. So it is back. It is going to stay. Thank you, Sean Brown and the Y charts team for setting us up. If you're not familiar with Y charts, um, I'm going to give you a reason right now why you should check it out. Uh, it's a dashboard that for, those of you out there who are financial advisors and things like that, uh, this is a no-brainer. You can just buy the Y charts to what's like a, a smarter, leaner, not-so-clunky version of Bloomberg Terminal. I like it a lot already. It wasn't, I think, necessarily designed for individuals like me, but I do think that the future of people my age and up are going to be investing their own money. Sorry, financial advisor guys. Not for everyone, but for people like myself. It's not enough to put you in a corner or anything. I'm not being that guy. I'm just saying for me, it's it's kind of it's it's a good tool, a good value. And I want to show you why really quick right now. So I tweeted this out two seconds ago on at Katu, at Katuna at Twitter. Um I had a couple people who commented last week about my comments on Tesla and just how you know crazy the stock has run away. And they said, basically, it's simple math. I don't know why they didn't do this on their own, but I just figured I would do it for you. So on Y charts, you have the ability to go back and see how much money you'd have today if you could put $10,000 into any stock or any number of stocks um, at any given date. So what would the range be? And so I went back and tracked when I bought Tesla. So I bought Tesla, and the, the, the chart is on, on my Twitter, so just go follow that. But if you were to own Y charts, you would go in, and you'd be able to type in Tesla or whatever other stocks you have and pick the range date before, after, when you bought it and presume that you put $10,000 in and what would you have as of today? And Tesla, as an example, I bought some stock in the early spring of 2019 at around 200 and something dollars. I think it was a 284 or something like that. And then I watched it just bottom out. It was like 178, 76, 7. I'm not sure what the absolute low was, but it was pretty close to that. So in July, when it was sitting there at that price, I could not resist. So I put a ton of money in. And I did not tell anyone uh, at first until I started sweating bullets. And then I had to start saying, oh, my God, like, what do you guys think? And I'm talking to all my friends who who are in the financial game. And they're like, you're crazy. I'm shorting it. It's going to be a disaster. And I'm like, you know, what do I have to lose? So I just kept buying in. So at $10,000 put in, which is about what I actually put in, $10,000 put in on July 15th. On yesterday's close, 2020, that $10,000 is $20,000 and uh, basically 140 bucks. Double. And that's not the only, I mean, that's the like predominant big winner of the year, I think. Um, but it's not the only one that that's the case. I, I threw another one up of a couple other tech stocks, um, Navita being one of them, Spotify, Peloton, Zynga, a few others that I like, and, and the number's not nearly as big. I mean, Zynga, 10000 is 14000 now, so $4,000 uh, return on that. I just think that if you're a, a retail investor and you're getting involved in this, to do this, like I have Robinhood, I have Excel sheets like the rest of you, I have uh, M1 Finance, which is a local uh, ETF investor app that's here in Chicago that's amazing. Um, you can do a lot of research on those, 
but you really can't map. It's not designed for you to like follow trends and really know what's going on and like have an understanding other than like what it tells you percentage up and in, in since you bought, which is sort of useless because after a year, I mean, there's so many ups and downs that it would be, you know, it does, you'd have to literally thumb your finger along the line to figure out where you are. Having a tool like Y charts has enabled me to actually like break this thing down and, and open it up. Uh, and look at where things are good and bad and what the trends are and, and compare it to other stocks and see, you know, what the percentage of growth or the EPS or like all these different things that, you know, probably would be a pain in the butt to do anywhere else. So I, I think you guys should check it out. But uh, I just wanted to share that little tidbit because someone had asked about it. The segment that I'm going into today, which we'll be taking a break in two seconds and come back with, but I want to tee it up. So we have four trillion dollar companies in tech now, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon a little bit continue to go in and out of the of the trillion dollar mark. We just added Google, which you probably would have thought Google was already there. It wasn't, um, and I actually think it's kind of a surprise that after some of the things that have come out, that it's it's rallying the privacy and all this other jazz. Um, it's now four, so there's four trillion dollar tech companies on the market right now, which begs the question: Is the market maxed out, and what should I do next? That's the first thing we're going to get into. The second thing I'm going to get into is Spotify. Spotify, for a whole bunch of reasons, I am starting to fall in love with it. I, I was in it, then I was way out, then I was telling people I'm out, now I'm way in, and I'm going to tell you why I'm in, and it's a whole a whole to-do, I'll tell you. Um, and then I wanted to share a couple other tech stocks that maybe you want to look at as the if there is a recession or if there's a pullback, what I would be looking at. So I'm going to share that with you as soon as I come back after this commercial. I want to get into a debate. I want to talk to people who who care about stocks, I guess, or don't. I don't know who just want to pick a fight. I have a couple of friends who I texted and, and dared them, and then I thought about it after. I was like, oh, wait, this is live radio. They can't come on the show. They'll say bad things. Uh, I want to keep this spot. <laughs> um, so here's my thing. Uh, we left off with the four. There are now four tech companies that are in the trillion-dollar uh, market cap valuation, and it led me well, – let's put it this way. I put some red flags out, and I, I've talked to several people that are the people who would know, if you will – um, who managed literally like almost $3 trillion uh, of money. And they were talking to some billionaires, and, and I got to kind of hear in on some of the conversation. And it spooked me because I'm thinking, all right, I get it. You know, people's risk aversion is is weakening as they continue to make more money and more money. And I looked at my own portfolio, and I'm like, half of the companies, literally, I mean, there's like, what, 50 companies roughly, at least 20 of them are at their all-time high consecutively and some of them like all-time high by 20 percent 10 percent 15 25 percent and that made me think like all right so should i start like selling some of those shares out and parking the cash because uh you know it's been a good year and i don't want to lose all the gains and like i can sit here and watch the market drip back a little bit but you know how this goes it drips back a little bit and you're like ah it'll come back and then it drips back a little more so you buy a little more kind of even it out and then it drips back some more and like oh wait a minute we just took a 10 a 10 percent dip I don't want to have that happen, so I don't know what to do. So I started thinking about it. Then I hear, you know, Google matches up, and now we got $4 trillion tech companies, and I'm thinking, okay, what are we doing? I, I, this is, I am not a financial advisor, so do not follow my advice. That's what my lawyer would tell me to tell you. But I can't ignore that the market is just, like, raging, and I, I don't feel like, I, I feel like the risk-reward now has switched to where I can't afford to risk I guess I can afford to risk some more gains to not have losses. And so I'm moving, I started, I, I basically cut my, my portfolio in half and I sold out the vast majority of, of shares. I kept the portfolio and all the stocks. I still own pieces of them, uh, but just significantly less. And I moved them into what I have as an alternative 
kind of stock fund that I put together, which are more, I call it the ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Whenever things go south in any economy, people go back to the roots. They go back to getting into things that they have to have. And for whatever reason, it ends up, well, I mean, we think we all know what the reason. It ends up being alcohol and tobacco and cheaper clothing and cheaper food and fast food. It's just terrible stuff for us, but it's what we do when we're stressed, right? So I, I have that. I'll go into that. I will save that until we're in a position where we actually, it's real. Because then I think it's worthwhile to you. Right now, I don't want to go there. What I do want to talk about, though, is that there are some tech stocks that are still interesting. And ones that are not fat at this current juncture. Even with, they might be at all-time highs, but in my opinion, they're not fat. And this is what I want to debate about. Anyone can call in, 312-981-7200. If you don't want to do it on the air, just DM me on Twitter at Katoon. The, the company that is standing out to me is interesting. And there's a reason that they hit the news about this. is Spotify. And it's not just because I'm an audiophile and I'm all into this stuff. It, I, I'm hugely into Snapchat, too. I think Snap at 17 bucks or whatever it is is a little fat. I would let the recession kick it in the teeth and then buy it back up at like 9 bucks and ride it out. Because I think that that's a 20 or $30 plus dollar a share stock at a certain point, given the way that media is going. But Spotify. So Apple has done nothing to fight Spotify off. If anything, Spotify kind of took their spot, literally, by going into... Um, the fact that they have your music and your audio podcasts all in one shot. That's great. The freemium model is nice, but they just announced, well, somebody just announced they leaked that they're looking into buying the ringer, which is a podcast network by, uh, Bill Simmons, formerly of Grantland and all of these other, you know, many things. If you listen to Bill Simmons podcast, you're familiar with this. What it tells me is, is that they're finding their way into original content for podcasts. And I think that's interesting and notable when you look at the amount of money, the billions of dollars being spent for Netflix and Disney and everybody else trying to chase after original content that would draw you to Spotify versus Apple. Previously, in the audio world, all we've ever known is me coming on and saying, I've got a show, which by the way, I do. It's Technoid Podcast. You should download the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever, Stitcher. This is all true right now. But what if Spotify called me? Are you listening, Spotify? I know we got some people that know us there. If you said we would just take this and put the the company uh, into a position where it can buy up certain shows and just have the certain shows be, um, what's the best way to put this? Their own. There's no other place to get it. It kind of does the same thing as streaming on your you know on your channels with like HBO and Disney and all the rest of these things. Um, so basically. My feeling here is that Spotify is changing the game a little bit in the audio. They're forcing the hand. There are rumors that HBO has been looking at putting some of their shows and some of their movies and video uh, content documentaries, etc., into podcast format so that we can listen to them. And I think that's game-changing. So for me, I'm looking at Spotify, and I'm all over it. Uh, we got a text message in from someone here that said, I thought the show is about tech companies, not stocks. Uh, I apologize. I, these companies are tech companies that we're talking about. On the second half of the show, we have a call in uh, from a tech company that's pitching in and we're going to invest. I think it's important if you're going to invest in private companies that you are also aware of the public companies because the goal of investing in a private company is that they become public. Not necessarily. There's an acquisition that can happen too. Um, but I, I definitely um, I definitely get what you're saying. But I think the stock piece of this is fairly important because at the end of the day, the tech companies that are on the show this is about money and how they're going to raise money and how they're going to grow. So sorry if that is you know, a turnoff, but that's the case. So my last couple little pieces here before we, we take a quick commercial and set up for the, the next show here is 
talking about crypto. I don't want to get into the whole crypto thing. We will dedicate part of a show for the crypto conversation. But I think it's notable right now just because, um, well, Bitcoin is, is rising again a little bit. Ethereum is rising a little bit. And it, it's just a question that someone had actually asked me on the Technori uh, social media channel, which was, I guess was Twitter in this case. Um, if they thought if there was a pullback or recession, if that would have an impact on crypto going up or down. And I, I'm, not a, I'm not a person who can answer this question in an intelligent manner. I can only go with my instincts, which is that if people are hard up for cash, they're not going to be able to invest anything one way or the other. But I do think that with the younger people and predominantly the people who are the, the larger investors in crypto, I do think that if they think that the market is on a down and it's not as predictable as it would be, or it is predictable, but not in a way that they can profit from it, that they would mo- move more money over to crypto. And which crypto would that be? I don't think we're going to have like the apocalypse uh, piece that is going on with regard to uh, 2017 when it was like you could bet on any coin. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to have that again, but I do think that it's kind of an important piece to to watch because I guess in my mind, when I see markets moving or I see things going you know, up or down, I kind of feel like, I don't know, I just, I want to have something that I can move to. I want to have something I put my money in. So anyway, uh, that's a piece on that. I want to prep us real quick before we take our break and go over to, of course, if anyone wants to call in, you're welcome to call in. We got a couple minutes and then we got the break. Uh, I want to prep for the company that's coming in here because normally I don't go into it. I just sort of like let them call in and we figure it out. But this company was interesting to me. Uh, it's called Geno Bank and they're going to be calling in in a minute and pitching and they raised about 130000 from uh from non-accredited investors. Here's the deal. I think you're going to dig it, to be totally honest. Going back to the the 412 person who said he thought this was about tech companies, not stocks. Here's one for you. Genobank is a company that is trying to create a, uh, how do you put this, Uh, 23andMe without being traced and knowing who it was and all the stuff. And if you just were watching the news last night, which I was, um, there's a serial killer, or through they think it was a serial killer, in DuPage County who was responsible for the death of this poor lady in like 1977 that they would never have found this person if it weren't for the fact that there is somebody in somebody's family did a 23andMe and yada, 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 and ends up there. And we all ask questions like, how in the heck did this thing end up in the FBI? Like, how are they getting this? And the reality is, for those of you who don't know this, it's kind of an important piece of information. And no, uh, 708, this is not an infomercial. In fact, uh, I think it's a good show. Sorry that you think that. Anyway, um, for me, I'm a little bit reticent to give my blood and DNA to a company who's taken money from the government. All of the companies that are in this right now have taken serious money from the FBI uh, and from the D, you know the NSA and from all of these different organizations within the United States government. And so at that point, I'm sure somewhere in the fine print they disclosed this, and everyone maybe knows. Maybe I'm the idiot. I don't. I don't know. That's not not unoriginal of me. Um, but I just don't feel comfortable with that. And I didn't do anything. I didn't commit any crimes, but I just, that there's something about that that is, um, I don't know, scary. And so this company is the world's first incognito encrypted DNA extraction kit. And I'm going to guess, I'm not going to read any further because I want to hear this, this pitch purely. But I'm going to guess that this has an implication in using blockchain technology, which we've all sort of hemmed and hawed on. Blockchain being something super valuable, potentially in the crypto, obviously, but in fintech and financial markets. But insurance is another place where this is blowing up. And then there's sort of this like drop off where people are like, eh, is the application usable or is it just something that we're doing because we can? And and some of the major companies out there are sort of after they've invested millions of dollars and in trying to test it out, have found that it's not really moving the needle the way they thought. 
This is one that I think could be important because in healthcare, our records are everything. And in, in a world we're entering where you can be digitally hacked at any time, and not you actually, but other time, uh, other things. Thank you, 815, for being a first-time listener. Welcome to the show, and I appreciate that you think it's great. We think you're great. Um, one of the things that I, I just think is, is kind of in, in, interesting is that blockchain being able to hide our our personal information, our blood type, and all the things. Like, imagine a day where machines run everything, not run everything, but like they're very uh, central in everything we do, and someone hacks it, and they have access to, could change the blood type as you need a blood transfusion. There's so many things. This is an area that I think is going to be huge. How do you secure people's personal information like that? And in this particular case, uh, this company is on the starting point of that. So after we come back from the news, we are going to uh, take a call pitch from Geno Bank. I believe it is Daniel Uribe. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. We had, uh, I don't even know where it went here. There's a number here somewhere. Somebody... uh what was the number here? We want to do a shout-out. We had somebody. Yeah, here we go. Uh, 815-757. I won't give the rest of the number. Uh, quick shout-out. They said they love the theme song, so we're going to play it again real quick. Wait a minute. Wait Turn a minute. on All right, I'm gonna I couldn't help myself. All right, so we've got a call in coming in right now. It is um, going to be Daniel Uribe. We're waiting on his call. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and prep the company real quick here because I think that he... Let's see here. Yeah, he sent me the notes. Okay, so here's the deal. Our DNA data is based on abu- is is being abused. DNA data is very important since it encodes not only our blueprint, which is kind of what I was getting at before, the thumbprint, blood, and all this other stuff, uh, but it's also about our family and our children. The continuing privacy and security uh, of people's genetic data, both immediately and into the long term, is a paramount importance of paramount importance. So they have basically built this entire company around competing directly with the Twenty Three and Me's and the Ancestry.coms and so forth but are sort of leading the way in making this private. And I think it's kind of interesting because, so this is a a little bit of a tangent that I'm just making up time while we wait for Daniel, because hopefully he uh, jumps on. He's here. Okay. Uh, I want to finish this point because it's going to lead into Daniel and then we'll have him come on. The one thing that I think is a, a question that we need to think about is Apple right now is trying to position itself as the privacy maven that they're going to protect all of your stuff, whether they do or not. I'm not sure. I don't want to bet my life on that, but I mean, they've got the health app and all this other stuff that is it's your, literally your vitals. So you got to be careful. Google, on the other hand, which is trying to acquire Fitbit to get in the same space, they have been notoriously loose with the data. Their whole business model is sharing the data. So as we email each other back and forth and we sign up with our Gmail account for all of these different you know, blood testing and so on and so forth, I do think that you've got to be a little bit careful of it, and that's why companies like this, because I think the idea of DNA testing is amazing, and potentially also game-changing for screening for, for different diseases and things when you're born. It's cool and amazing, but I don't want to lose control of my literal identity. So, uh, Daniel, are you there? Yes, yes, hello. How are you? Good. Uh, how are thank you, you for having me. No, of course. Fine, fine, thank you. Very excited. <laughs> me too. All right, so I gave like a real brief run of your company. Um, why don't you just give me kind of the minute pitch, and I, or, or maybe give us the pitch from the, the vantage point of why you started this, and then I might have a couple of questions for you, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Thank you very much, of course. Thank you very much. So I am Daniel Uribe, CEO, co-founder of Ginobank.io. And we are using blockchain technology to allow uh, our users to own and control their DNA data sets or DNA uh, data. Uh, And we use this uh, new technology that allows people, I mean, it's not like a a patent of your information, but you will be able to trace it. 
So uh, the blockchain technology allows you to have like authorized or permission copies, and you're in control of them because you can revoke access uh, every time you want. So no, no company, no corporation, uh, no entity besides you uh, can control these uh, very sensitive data. Okay. What is the original sort of like, how did you come to decide I'm going to try to solve for this? Of course. Um, I, I have a, a four-year-old uh, little boy that has a mutation. He has a rare disease. And it, although it's already diagnosed, uh, the, the cure is uh, about yet to be produced with this uh, CRISPR technology. Uh, so we are waiting to researchers to come up with a very compelling and proof uh, technology. But right now, it's time to gather data. But I, as a father, I want to make sure that data is only in the hands of researchers or people that really is going to do something meaningful uh, in, in terms of, of the precision medicine era and not like brokers or companies that only want data to resell it, as you were saying just uh, a couple of minutes ago. Yeah. So to avoid data brokers, but to put it on hands of people that really are interested on this data and will do something meaningful. So I have a couple of questions for you, um, and f- some of this might be proprietary, so obviously feel free to uh, you know skip if you have to. Um, the technology that you're using to be able to do this, can you talk a little bit about how you've been able to develop or if you outsource the product, uh, you know, the actual testing? Like, can you walk me through that a little bit? Because I feel like for the listeners and for myself, too, here, one of the, one of the big questions I have on it is, um, well, one, if you're, if you're outsourcing it and the testing is being done somewhere else, are they being as protective as you are, one? And two, uh, as it pertains to the business model in the future and how much money it costs to develop this sort of stuff and technology, how you're, you know, off-sorting, off you know, off uh, putting the costs that you're you're getting to get to this point. So if you talk a little bit about how it actually works, that'd be great. Of course. I mean, your saliva sample, uh, we, we take your saliva sample, which is the, the origin of, of your DNA uh, uh, data, and we take it to a laboratory. So it's a, it's a certified laboratory that, uh, uh, that just agrees to all of our privacy policies. So... The, the agreement states that they will erase the data once they deliver the data so they don't keep a copy. So that's very important. because And that's uh, doable for them because their business model is to sell sequencing services or the, the, uh, um, the transformation of their DNA into, into data. So it's, it's already not in conflict with them and their business model. And so we receive the data um, directly to to the wallets of the people. So each each customer has its own account. It, each customer has its own encryption, and the laboratory has the technologies used, like to scan a QR code, and they will know where to deposit each user's data. So everybody is uh, the the data is not mixed, is not aggregated on a central database as right now is is being done. And that makes it very, very unique, very private, and very individualized. But any of these uh, laboratories, we, we are just working right now with two. They, they agreed not to uh, keep a copy of your data. And just one uh, additional thing, I mean, we are working to have, like, the, the ID of each sequencer that produces your data. So you will only, you will be able to know what sequencer, at what time, in what laboratory produce your data, so we can have full traceability of 
what's going on with uh, these very sensitive data. Okay, so now I appreciate that and thank you. That's you know, I guess that's as secure as it's going to be for now until you own your own laboratories in house because obviously everyone is subject to being hacked and anything can happen. Now, I'm sure that they do something to make sure that the samples, essentially the samples aren't paired with the, the names and the people in that area. They just bring back the results and then you pair it back. Is that somewhat accurate? Yes, that's very accurate. Every, everyone is represented by a QR code. No personal information is ever uh, transmitted or, or managed. Okay, here's the million-dollar question, because I, I really am a... I totally get this this craze that everyone's in. My wife and I talk about this all the time. Hi, Jen. She's not listening, but hi, Jen. Um, we talk about this all the time. Uh, yeah, you'd yeah. be nuts to like put your stuff out there and want to know, but then there's curiosity, and then there's... That's not even going into the health you know part of this, like wanting to know, especially if I had an obscure disease or something, or my kid was sick, like I'd want to know everything I can know about my family to figure out what's going on. Um, exactly. but, but I'm worried, right, about the whole the whole kind of stuff. So my question here ultimately is, when I look at 23andMe, and for whatever reason I'm blanking on, it's not Ancestry, what's the other one that's that's like 23andMe? Ancestry DNA. Yeah, okay. So yeah, it is Ancestry. I don't know why I was blanking on that. All right, so the two of them have taken money from the government and a lot of other places without the promise that that you're making. And the reason that they did that varies across a lot. Some of them, it was because they're so early in the game that in order to even make this become a thing that would be legal and be be sort of approved of, uh, they had to play some certain play by certain rules. The rest of them who have come up since then who do this, I am pontificating here, but I I really do think a lot of it has to do with having access to as much money as they can to market the service, to market the brand. And of course, when you're going against companies that do similar thing but have the ability to get in front of millions if not billions of people with marketing dollars how do you plan on getting into that noise because i think you've got a compelling story when you say have the same thing as 23 me only don't share your data i get that but how do you break through that noise so people can hear you of course um so we believe we do not have to compete. The ideal world would be if they adopt this uh, our technology, which, by the way, is patent pending. I mean, it's protected by a patent. By, let's say, for instance, 23andMe can opt to have a DNA, uh, a, a 23andMe a DNA wallet or re- repository. So they, can, they are still in, in time of giving back their information to the users so they can control who has access to it on, and not by decentralizing the governance of this data. Uh, maybe I'm t- saying some words, a strange word, but, but what I'm trying to tell you is that the next generation of companies will have to be uh, privacy-preserving or, or have to have this kind of, of privacy enhancement technology because right now their model is not scalable. They, they just stalled uh, the, the last year. The people is not buying the... the the product anymore because they have privacy concerns. So if they don't adapt this, they won't, they won't scale to, let's say, 100 million. Right now they're in, in about 27 million uh, combined, like 23andMe and Ancestry have, have approximately those kind of. So if they want to reach 100 million or even a billion people, they will have to do something to preserve the privacy of each of the individuals. So our technology can help them to uh, get uh, to to scale in these next generation uh, or, or this next uh, uh, step on their on their uh, roadmap. I, I believe we we don't have to compete. We just have to 
uh, I mean, to, to, to get an agreement on how to use this, this new technology. Um, my only pushback, and then we have to hit a break and come back, but um, my only pushback on you on that is that if 23andMe and Ancestry have um, agreements in place with the investors that were the government, that they have kind of a, not to use a, a term that's been thrown around quid pro quo, but uh, if they have something that says they have to share the information, then that would preclude them from being able to utilize the tech. That's my only pushback on that, because I, I do think that your company actually has the ability to not have to compete directly, but as this becomes more ubiquitous and hospitals are getting involved in screening of children, you could find an area like just uh, neonatal and just go into companies and say, I want to go ahead, or sorry, into hospitals and clinics and say, I want to go ahead and provide you a genobank. And you get the insurance companies on it and the people can do it there and you sort of circumvent and you say, 23andMe and Ancestry is a fun way to come back and learn a, a you know lineage and whereabout in Eastern Europe you're from, and this actually comes in from the point of, um, you know, we're here to screen to to tell you scientific results. Um, last thing, and then we got to take our break. Uh, terms for this investment, people can go to republic.co uh, slash. Let me make sure I get this right. Genobank dash io. And you can follow yes, them at, at, at genobank.io or underscore io on Twitter and so forth. Genobank.io is the company. They've raised one hundred and thirty-three thousand plus dollars, two hundred plus investors. They still have fifty days, fifty-five days to invest. They've got it set at a ten million dollar value cap, fifteen percent discount with a minimum buy-in of a hundred dollars. So it's actually a pretty solid deal when you look at the potential market. And I should mention, um, our friends at Republic would want me to mention that they were on Meet the Draper season three. Um, and so, do you have any one last word here before we take break? Well, thank you very much. I believe, as you were saying, that uh, especially parents should have the right to um, get the insights from the DNA revolution, from the genomic revolution in privacy without uh, sharing it with the government or uh, health institutions or, um, in worst of all, uh, insurance companies and make a plan, but uh, privately. And this is exactly uh, the mission of Genobank, um, to outsmart genomics with privacy. And thank you very much for this opportunity. I am super grateful. No, of course. Uh, best of luck to you. And I will share, for everyone listening and yourself, I will share this link on our Twitter and Technori, at Technori, at Katoon, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so you guys can follow there. Daniel, thank you so much and best of luck. You're awesome. Thank you very much. Of course. Thank you thank very you much. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Quick shout out to the 708921 um, texter. Appreciate the message. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Um, I guess that was my soothing voice, Ashley. I don't know. That didn't. That didn't go as I thought it would. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Anyway, okay, so I've had a couple of messages uh, on on Twitter and then also on our text feed here, which you can call in. We've got a couple of minutes, so if anyone wants to call in and talk stocks or tech or startups or or me, I don't whatever, talk about your day. Uh, 312-981-7200. We're trying to make the show a little bit more interactive and have some fun with it because uh, the podcast and the social media stuff that we do with Technory is very interactive. We have lots and lots of people who um, who comment and post and tag us. One of the topics that I want to get into, which may drum up some calls, we only have like five minutes, so if you're going to do it, do it now, is the cannabis space. I want to give a shout out to my really good friend, uh, Aristotle Loomis, and the Philo team, F-Y-L-L-O, and of course, Chad Bronstein, the the CEO, for acquiring a company um, with regard to cannabis. They they bought a company for about $10 million, which for an early stage startup that's raised about 20 total, that's pretty monumental. 
And I just, I think that this is interesting for two reasons. Uh, one, obviously all of you listening follow the news and know that now there is legal marijuana uh, and CBD and all this other stuff. But I, I do think that, um, I think there's some confusion around what it means for the business area. I think people get stuck on like, oh, it's sales and the city tax and blah, 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 which is of course important. But one of the things that's really interesting is that Chicago in the last five years, I mean, it's had history before, obviously you've got state farm and all state and so forth. Um, has become an insure tech mecca. Uh, my buddy Kyle at ClearCover just raised fifty. Rumors are he's going to raise another hundred million uh, next year, which would total two hundred plus for him in the last three years. And that money's being spent on revenue positive spending and growing in new markets, not just money raised to throw a party. For those of you who who question, like I do, some of the the the, the raising and spending, um, Kin Insurance, Deus, um, Calderos. There's a whole bunch more. And then there's in the healthcare side, there's there's Village MD and there's Lavongo and there's all these companies. The cannabis thing here is really important and huge because there is an absolute tie between, obviously, between cannabis and its use for medical and how it's going to be applied to your insurance and how your healthcare will handle it and how it will be something that is actually managed properly so it doesn't just become like a tool for people to get high. I think that Chicago is running let's put it this way denver is rolling with it and california has been doing it for a long time but they've got all kinds of problems vegas is similar denver has an interesting approach to it and chicago's taken yet even a different approach and if you think about it a company like philo to launch in chicago with chicago tech is great but it's not the coast right that's the that's kind of the dig that we always get for them to launch here and be able to raise the kind of bucks that they raised in chicago is really, really impressive. But it's not about impression that matters. It's about longevity and what it does for the city and obviously a larger extent the state and, and the companies themselves and the ecosystem and more founders and more businesses. And I think the fact that they chose to launch in Chicago and could raise the money they needed to raise in and out of Chicago speaks volumes to the opportunity that Chicago offers in the cannabis space in particular and as that spins into healthcare and insurance. And I think that if we're a city, you want to compare uh, notes to cities. I think Boston is a city that I would aspire to be. I don't think, you know, we had the Board of Trade, we have CME Group, FinTech is a big thing in Chicago and it's not going to go away. But if I could mirror and be like Boston and have, you know, we have Northwestern University of Chicago, we have other schools, obviously IIT, uh, University of Illinois down in Champaign, they have MIT and Harvard and those things, which are better, but like marginally so when you compare Northwestern and University of Chicago. The ability to offer up jobs for people to get into tech in varying areas and get into healthcare and get into insurance and be able to get paid a very good wage and be on the cutting edge of something, several things that are changing entire industries that are part of every debate you're listening to politically is healthcare. We actually have the, we are in a position to have a major, uh, impact on that and be a key stakeholder in that. And I think that's something that we should not forget ever uh, that we pay attention to the impact of the tech companies on the show uh, on Anna Devlantis' show during the week. I come on on Tuesdays around two o'clock and last week we had Howard Tolman on and he specifically talked about his brother, Glenn, by the way, just FYI uh, is the, was the chairman is the chairman of, of Lavongo, which went public uh, several months ago. He specifically said that the impact that we're measuring sometimes about money raised and dollars out and exits is a waste of time in a city of broad shoulders. We should be worrying more about the economic impact of keeping talent, retaining talent. And that to me is the biggest thing. Can we find companies that are building things in the fastest growing markets 
And can those companies get into a position where they can employ more people and not just employ people, but employ people with livable wages? That's the conversation. And if you want to hear more about that conversation, I had a podcast that I did last week with another tech company in the cannabis space, Leaf Trade. Go to Technori, follow Tech, like I said earlier, follow Technori podcast everywhere you get it. Uh, I personally like consuming it on Spotify. This has been a fun show. We got a lot of comments from people. I really appreciate it. the good ones, the bad ones, all of them. I like all comments. Uh, feel free to message me offline at Technor at Technori at Katoon on Twitter, and I'll respond as quickly as I can. That is a show for me today. Boom, that's a wrap.